This chapter of Up the Winter Trail is still undergoing revision. It is now May 2006, as I record this, with the book release scheduled for the autumn of this year. But the only changes really expected between now and the release of the book involve minor grammatical changes during the editing process. This chapter from Up the Winter Trail is entitled A Branch. That's not Mount Mahoney, says John. It's A Branch. He's looking at one of the pictures included with a photo essay I provided for the March issue of Powell River Living Magazine. The photo shows John and me on snowshoes, and it's labeled Mount Mahoney. No way, I state emphatically. I remember the photo well. It was taken the day we drove your truck up Mount Mahoney. Don't you remember? John doesn't forget anything. So that probably means, as certain as I am regarding this photo, the first chapter of Up the Lake is a total lie or at best, a stupid mistake. Yes, I remember too, replies John. It's a branch. No one else will know the difference. Snow is snow. That's not the point. I wrote a complete chapter about our snowshoe trip on Mount Mahoney. Why didn't you tell me it was a branch when you read the chapter? Pinning a major error on someone else is a wise rationalization. Snow is snow repeats John. But I'm proud of the first chapter of Up the Lake. In fact, I selected it as the initial chapter just because I found the story so appealing. Hopefully this time, John is wrong. I sometimes turn to poetic license in my writing, but I try to keep the facts truthful. Mount Mahoney is 15 kilometers from A Branch, and that's as the crow flies. In road distance, they are separated by almost 50 clicks. I remember my words from up the lake. When the sky clears in Powell River, you can see the snowpack all around, but you can't get to it. Mount Mahoney is the exception. It may be the exception, but it's not where the story took place, at least according to John. I dig up a photo of John installing terror chains on his truck on the road to Mount Mahoney during the same trip to Snowshoe Country. I show it to John. Where was this photo taken, I ask. John can identify a specific spot on a road just by observing the rocks and bushes. A branch, near the gravel pit, replies John without hesitation. It really wasn't Mount Mahoney after all. It takes a lot to convince me I am wrong, like the obvious facts. I need to go back to A branch, I note. Now that I know where we were, I need to retrace my steps. This problem doesn't involve a tiny lie. In fact, it involves the entire first chapter of the first book in the series. Climbing back up a branch seems necessary. Then again, as John says, snow is snow. You won't make it very far, says John. Rick tried to go up a branch last week. He didn't even make it to the gravel pit on his quad. And now the snow is worse. It's the end of March, but the snow came late this year. What about Margie's truck, I ask? 
it's easier on the quad. It's all on the tires, and those truck tires won't do very well without chains. But I need to get on snowshoes and tackle a branch again. I need to write an accurate story. If I can't get there by truck, then by quad. Snow is snow, but Mount Mahoney isn't a branch. I know John isn't planning to snowshoe with us today. It's a Sunday, and he and Rick, bro too, rode all day yesterday in Theodosia. They will be worn out, so certainly an early morning is not in the cards for John today. But Margie and I are awake bright and early, hook up the quad trailer, and finish breakfast. But on the way out of town, although it is still only 9 a.m., we need to harass John. I doubt he is even awake yet. I ring the doorbell, and at least someone, bro, is awake. He comes barking down the stairs as I stand on tiptoes to look through the door's high window that is more decorative than functional. I routinely conduct conversations with bro this way, and he enjoys it. I can tell by his enthusiastic barking. Finally, Rick stumbles to the door. If the doorbell didn't awaken him, the barking certainly did. Hey, how's it going? says Rick in his normal good humor. He looks like he just woke up. Doing good, I reply. We're ready to go. Rick sticks his head out the door and sees our truck and quad trailer plastered perpendicular across the driveway entrance. Man, you're loaded in everything, says Rick. What's up? We're headed for A Branch. Maybe you and John would like to join us. I'm sure they have other plans, and their plans, whatever they are, don't include a 9 a.m. start. Well, we might be going back to field today for some trail building, but that will be a little later. John isn't even up yet. As I talk to Rick, I see John slipping out of his downstairs bedroom for the bathroom, wearing only long johns. He couldn't sleep through bro's greetings either. I jump at my chance. Hey, John, let's get going. You're holding me up. As John slips into the bathroom, I give him one last blast as he closes the door. Hey, John, let's get going. You're holding me up. As John slips into the bathroom, I give him one last blast as he closes the door. You're always lagging behind. It's a bit of futile payback. Rick laughs, his expression telling me he understands. John is always in a hurry to get going. It's his trademark and he's constantly harassing me about how slow I am. No one dares imply John is a slowpoke, but I try. As Rick tells me about yesterday's ride, I am amazed to learn they made it a long way on the muddy trail at the inlet to Theodosia. It's been raining all month, I comment. I was on that trail in the summer, and it was rough ruts and mud even then. It must be really tough now. Not so bad if you know what you're doing. It's not a put-down to my riding skills, but just a reminder of the obvious. Rick and John aren't average riders. I can only imagine the muddy mess on that trail in March. John joins us, slipping on a t-shirt, and I continue to harass him. So, are you finally ready to go, I ask? We're going to A Branch. Rick and I might be going to Theodosia today, replies John. If not, maybe I'll catch up to you a little later. It's okay. I can wait while you eat breakfast. It'll be fun rushing you along. I'd like that. Let's get moving. 
John laughs. He knows he is always hurrying me along. We both know I need it. No, I could catch up with you, but it looks like Rick and I are going to Theo again today. I'd rather stay here and harass you during breakfast. I won't let up. Let's get moving. Get out of here, says John. So I do, but it was worth it. We park at Tinat Junction, and the rock surfaced turn out. A logging truck and our pickup and trailer are the only vehicles in the wide parking area. The sky threatens rain with a forecast high of 9 degrees. We load our snowshoes and poles on our quads and ride down to the Khartoum cutoff, taking Stillwater Main north to Tade Branch. The initial climb is through an extensive logging slash and then up into the snow. At first, the ground is a mix of wet, crystal-like snow with well-established dirt tire tracks. A few vehicles have been through here lately, probably mostly yesterday, a sunny, spring-like day. Today is a regression to winter. In fact, within another kilometer, light snow begins to fall. The first precipitation of the day is snow rather than rain, but we know what lies below when it snows up here. So we hope the precipitation will stop before we have to retrace our path back to the truck. I lead on my Kodiak, putting my right wheels in the dirt tread track and my left wheels on the snowy center hump. There's lots of grip until the dirt track turns white. Even then, the wet nature of the snow provides adequate climbing traction for another kilometer. But as the snow deepens, I feel my tires starting to spin. It is a slow progression towards lack of control. In fact, I am amazed how far we are able to regress today. I stay out of four-wheel drive so I can judge how Margie is feeling on her two-wheel drive quad. I watch her in my rearview mirror as she follows without apparent problem. At a curve with a wide turnout, I consider pulling over and parking for our conversion to snowshoes. Although my rear wheels are spinning pretty good by now, I still have plenty of forward momentum, so I continue past the corner. The next hill is challenging, but we climb it adequately. At the next turnout, also on a curve, I decide we should not chance our luck any further. I pull to the side of the road in trackless, 8-inch deep snow and stop. Margie pulls up behind me, her wheels spinning but still progressing slowly. It's a nice change from a typical climb until you're stuck strategy. I'm sure we could not make it up the next hill, so we lose no substantial forward travel and gain a wide, secure parking spot. As we put on our snowshoes, the falling snow produces a near whiteout. The sky is thinly overcast with diffuse sunlight seeping through the clouds, reflecting off the snow on the ground and the flakes in the air. Maybe my quad goggles will help. They do. Their tinted lenses make good snowshoe goggles, so hike with them today. Just as we begin our snowshoe climb, the sound of the engines from below causes us to pause. Around the corner roars a red, jacked-up jeep with huge tires. It has good momentum and what looks like excellent traction. And right behind is a white F-350 crew cab, wheels spinning and throwing snow. In the bed of the truck sits a green quad and a six-foot inflated inner tube. 
The red Jeep makes it around the corner easily and starts up the next hill. But the white truck is obviously near its limit. It spins around the curve, trying to gain traction, but it's hopeless. Barely starting up the next grade, the truck grinds to a stop and then starts slipping sideways. The driver stops, backs down to the corner, and gives it another try with the same results. The Jeep backs down the hill to assist, quickly tying a rope to the front of the truck and beginning to tow. But even with the Jeep's assistance, there is no forward progress. So the towing maneuver is abandoned and the truck backs into the turnoff near our quads. The Jeep stops in the middle of the road next to the truck. We wave to them and then we start up the hill. Around the next corner, a gravel pit provides a landmark parking area for winter climbers. Today there is only one pickup truck here. A few kilometers above us sits a public overnight cabin for hikers and cross-country skiers. We know we won't be able to snowshoe that far today, particularly considering the steep grade. But it will be fun to snowshoe up the road as far as we feel fit in the deepening snow. Was that a quad or a snowmobile in the truck? asked Margie. Well, I assumed it was a quad, I replied. But I really didn't give it a close look. If it's a snowmobile, we'll know soon. A quad wouldn't be able to climb any higher today, so it makes sense the truck would be carrying a snowmobile instead. Within a few minutes, the red jeep passes us, climbing seemingly without effort in the deepening snow. The large tires grip well, leaving big tread marks. Then we hear another engine and we step aside, awaiting the quad snowmobile. It's exactly that, a quad with large snowcat treads, making it a pseudo-snowmobile, a baby snowcat. It passes us with solid stability at about 20 clicks, flinging snow from its big treads and towing two teenagers lying prone on the huge inner tube behind it. The boys are bouncing and sliding from side to side on the narrow road. The quad snowmobile will easily make it to the cabin, maybe even without throwing the tube and its passengers off the road. Tracks, says Margie, pointing to prints in the snow. Could be a horse, or maybe an elk. We stop to inspect the tracks in the snow. I suppose someone could bring a horse here in the snow, but then the hoof prints go off the road, directly into the dense forest. The tracks are clear and fresh. Pointed toes, notes Margie, not a horse, probably an elk. And a big one, I add. It's uniquely satisfying to visualize this big animal passing through here only shortly before us. We rest at the base of the next hill and then decide to head back to our quads. On the downhill leg, two cross-country skiers with large backpacks overtake us snow plowing downhill. They stop briefly to talk and we learn they have spent the night at the cabin. After they leave, Margie and I continue downhill, wondering what a cross-country skiing experience would be like in this region. It must be tough climbing these slopes on skis, says Margie. I assume they use snowshoes on the uphill grade and carry their skis, I reply. But I didn't know the snowshoes unless they were inside their packs. 
One of the skiers carried a big shovel sticking out of his large backpack, but nothing else protruded. Around the next corner, we learned the answer. The skiers are resting with their skis off, preparing to hike down into the thinner snow. They don't want to damage your skis on the underlying dirt and rocks. Do you use snowshoes going uphill? I asked the skiers. Don't need them, says one of the men. Feel this. He holds out one of his skis, bottom facing towards me. The surface looks like a dark green carpet, and I run my hand along the bottom of the ski. It's velvet smooth. Now slide your hand the other way along the ski, he says. In the other direction, the feeling is completely different. It is rough, like prickly Velcro. The skier explains how the skis grab for climbing, coupled with the release in his bindings that allow his feet to swing upward, providing extra uphill leverage. The skiers hike downhill in front of us, and we follow on our snowshoes at a slower pace. There has been more traffic on A Branch today than I've ever experienced on a mountain road in this area. Then again, there is snow in the air, and this is a winter wonderland for the moment. And there is another obvious fact. This isn't Mount Mahoney. Thanks for listening.